Father, you are a God of such deep love we could never fathom it. Uh, We could never um, touch bottom or reach the shore. Um, Lord, it's uh, so overwhelming to think of your love, especially in contrast with our lack of deserving it. And uh, we ask that you would help us to see that more and more and to realize how deep your love really goes. Help us to see that this morning as we look into your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus was an amazing man. I mean, he is. And I mean, when he walked the earth, it was amazing. He wasn't all about just fluffy things. He wasn't all about just cuddling little lambs and and combing his woolly hair. I mean, he said some tough things. He did some tough things. In fact, he went in the temple, started flipping tables, driving all the cattle out of there and said, you guys have this whole worship thing upside down. It's wrong. When John records that episode, the very next thing John tells us after Jesus did that crazy thing, ticked a bunch of people off. He tells us, this isn't our passage for today, but but listen to the words. It says, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. People flocked to him on the past. They believed him. They believed in the name of Jesus. Don't we preach that? All you need to do to rescue, be rescued from hell is believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's all you need. But here it says he didn't give himself to them. I won't be your shepherd. I won't be your leader. You will not be my flock because I know what's in you. So people can come, believe in the name of Jesus, follow Jesus, walk behind Jesus, and have nothing to do with Jesus. Or rather, Jesus has nothing to do with them. How does that happen? How, how does that happen? How, how do you have believers that don't actually believe? Believers that aren't actually a part of God's flock. Today's passage in the book of Acts, I think, gives us one particular insight into that. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Um, this is one particular passage that is very, I think, indicting. And it's difficult to read. You know, they chose these seven men, and Stephen was a stellar preacher, and he preached the wrong sermon at the wrong time to the wrong people, and he was executed. Right there, people realize, hey, we can shut these guys up if we kill them. And, and suddenly it started the snowball effect. You know, it started, let's just pull them out of their homes, pull them out of the synagogues, pull them out of the streets, and let's start putting them in jail, arresting them, taking them away from their families. Let's squash this Christianity thing. 
what happened was when they started putting the pressure on in Jerusalem, the Christians kind of scattered out uh, into Samaria and everything. Some scholars tell us the reason why God allowed such heavy persecution was Jesus said, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but they were all kind of in Jerusalem. And he's like, well, you know, persecution pushed them out. And they started preaching the gospel in Samaria. One of those guys that was chosen that wasn't killed yet was Philip. And Philip went down to Samaria. And Samaria was kind of filled with a bunch of like half Jews, you know. Uh, Judea was full of the, the fully Jewish Jews, you know. And then Samaria had kind of like these people that were kind of intermarried and they weren't fully Jewish. Um, and so a lot of Jewish people didn't want them to get the gospel. Philip goes there and he starts preaching the gospel to them. But he's not just preaching, he's doing these, these awesome signs. I mean, people are... Possessed by demons, he casts them out. People are sick, he heals them. People have problems, he fixes it. I mean, he just is a miracle worker. And it's evident that he's he's got this powerful uh, hand of God upon him. And there was much joy in that city. Now look at chapter 8, verse 9. This is where we, we come to the story of Simon. Philip is preaching. Philip is getting people, getting saved. People are believing him. And listen, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. It's like, he, this guy's not even human. God's power has become a person, and that person is Simon. I mean, that's how awesome this guy is. Everyone paid attention. Everyone listened. Everyone was amazed. And he loved it because, it says in verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Um, it says in verse 9, he, he himself was, he said that he himself was somebody great. He loved the attention. And he was good at it. I don't think he was pulling rabbits out of hats. I think he was doing some awesome stuff. And they paid attention to him. But verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he worked his magic. No, no. They believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. That was not amazing. This guy, even this guy believed, even this magician, this sorcerer, even he believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and miracles performed, he was amazed. Now something different is happening here. Simon is not working a bunch of magic. And then Philip comes and works his magic. And then Simon goes, I guess I'm, I've been bested. Let me follow this guy. Philip comes and he does miracles and signs and wonders. It tells us that. But what they believed about Philip wasn't, oh, his magic is better than this magic. They said, forget magic. This is good news. You know, you can do all the magic you want. That doesn't rescue me from hell. You can do all the fancy stuff you want to do. Do all the fireworks and all the displays and have everybody do all the oohs and the ahs and draw a big crowd. But that doesn't save me, does it? Philip came with good news because he said, you don't need magic. You don't need to be like Simon. You don't need to have powers. You don't need to have skills. You don't need to have a certain background. You just need God's grace. That's the good news, right? 
They were more amazed with that. And they believed. And it says, and Simon believed. But in this very same sentence that it says Simon believed, it also tells, tells us that he didn't get it. Because look what it says. It says, he, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Have you noticed I've said the word amazed like probably 15 times already? I mean, Luke repeats it over and over. For Simon, it's all about amazement. It's all just one big amazement park. You know, he's just, he just loves the amazement factor. He loves to be amazing. He loves to see amazing things. And he likes amazing. He, this, this is what it's about for him. It's not about the good news. It's not about the gospel. But, but Luke said he believed. So, I mean, some, some people have debates like, well, Simon was a believer. He was just a really weak believer. I beg to differ. You see, in the, in the, in the Greek language, they didn't have a whole lot of punctuations. They had like two. They didn't have an exclamation mark. They didn't have semicolons. And they didn't have quotes. You know when you when we go like that? Yeah, he's yeah, he's he's a Christian. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a chef. Like, yeah, paper on the wall, but don't eat his food, you know, like quotes means in name but not in reality. I think if Luke was writing this today, he would have put, even Simon himself believed. Because everything that follows after that line, he's not a believer. And I think it coincides with what we just read in John 2. Many people believed in his name. And Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Which wasn't real belief, was it? He continued with Philip, seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. Now the, now the passage takes a real brief, like uh, you would call it an excursus, like a, like a time out. I'm going to talk about this for a second and then come back. And many scholars, you read commentary and stuff, they're like, this has nothing to do with it, but I think Luke had to put it in here. To, I think it has everything to do with it, but let's look at it. When the apostles at Jerusalem, all right, the hub, Jerusalem was the headquarters, and the apostles were the guys. These are the guys that were spent time with Jesus. These were the leaders of the church. They were in Jerusalem. They heard that Samaria, okay, Samaria, the area with like the not, the not, the fake Jews, they would have called them Jews or half-breeds. They heard that they received the word of God. They got the sermons, preached them. They got the gospel. They sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit who had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now that's kind of a weird passage. Because if you've been in church for a little while, hopefully you would have understood and you read enough scripture that you see when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, when we baptize you in water, that's a symbol of a spiritual reality that took place. That you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cleanses you. The Holy Spirit fixes you, not the water in a tank. Somebody last night thought it was so hot that maybe we were scalding the sins off of them or something, maybe. But it's not the water, right? It's, it's, it's a symbol of an inward reality that's happening that the Holy Spirit does. And you believe in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. That something happens inside of you that no pastor can do, no deacon can do, no parent can do. The Holy Spirit baptizes you. 
You receive the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's a lot of ways that Luke puts it. But in this particular situation, Philip goes down and he preaches the word and they say, we believe. And they come to the altar call and they give their lives to the Lord and they say a prayer and, and, they're, and they're saved and they're baptized in water. But there was just no evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. None of them were speaking in tongues. None of them were proclaiming the gospel. None of them were witnessing to their neighbor. None of them suddenly had the boldness it took to talk to somebody about Jesus. The Holy Spirit didn't come. And they get word gets back to Jerusalem. They go, well, let's go down there. I mean, Jesus did tell us apostles, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I mean, we just haven't been down there yet. They go down there, lay their hands, and the Holy Spirit comes. Here's why I think it happened. God didn't want the Samaritan Jews and the Jewish Jews and the Samaritan Christians and the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians and all these sects to be divided by saying, well, you guys aren't real Christians because we have the apostles and you didn't. Right? The apostles started it for us and didn't start it for you. They said, no, this is official. The Samaritans count, guys. The Samaritans count. I don't care what you're talking about, half-breeds and now they and all this stuff. I mean, there was a great division. The Jews worshipped in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans worshipped in Mount Gerizim. They didn't even worship in the same place. That's why when Jesus was talking to the lady at the well, she's like, well, who, where are we supposed to worship? Because my family worships in Mount Gerizim. You guys worship in Jerusalem. What's the deal? And he said, well, the time is coming where there's no mountain, there's no place. Worship is spirit and truth. See, there was, there was this division, there was this rift. And the apostles were in Jerusalem, and that was the real church. And that we have the apostles. And then, yeah, Philip went out and everything, and we have like the leftover guys. We have the guys that were in charge of like the widow's food and stuff. We don't have the apostles. God, I think, wanted to show like, hey, this is official. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be speak Hebrew. You don't have to be circumcised and in the line of Abraham. You have to just believe in the good news. And so the apostles came and laid their hands, and it's like, guys... Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, everybody gets the gospel. It doesn't matter where you're from or who you are, who your parents are, if you were born in an illegitimate context or whatever your story is, it doesn't matter. Because the gospel is a gift. The gospel is by grace. It's not earned. It's not by, based on a track record. It's not based on a spiritual resume. And I think this happened in order to prove that. Now look what happens. Now back to Simon, verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, in other words, he sees these guys come and they lay hands and suddenly the Spirit takes over. Now i got to say, when you read through Acts, if you receive the Holy Spirit, it's evident. Now some people say it's only evident by tongues. Baloney. Sometimes it's by tongues and sometimes in the very book of Acts that they would use to prove that it's always by tongues, sometimes it's not by tongues. When it came, when the Holy Spirit came upon Paul, he didn't speak tongues. He went out and preached. Well, why don't we say, well, the, the, you have to go out and preach then. The Holy Spirit evidences himself in some powerful, miraculous way. You might be bold at work to say something when before you wouldn't have said anything. It, it, you're a bold witness. You're empowered to say something. In tongues, in English, it's, it's somehow getting the gospel across to people. And it just wasn't happening for them. Peter and, and John come down and they lay hands on them and suddenly they're, they're filled with the Spirit. They're doing awesome stuff. Some of them probably were speaking in tongues. Some of them prophesying. Some of them interpret, interpreting tongues that they didn't even understand. And other little mousy sort of introverted people proclaiming the gospel to people that will stone them. That's the power of God. 
And Simon goes, oh my goodness, you could take a little weakling kind of shy person that's very uneducated, lay hands on them, and suddenly they're Philip, they're Stephen, they're Peter. That's awesome. That's a greater magic than any sort of little bird out of the cage trick that I know how to do. And so he comes to them and says, hey, guys, can I get that? Look what he says. He says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the hands of the apostles, laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, at that point, I have to be honest, I probably would have said, oh, <laughs> oh you don't get it. It's kind of cute. But it's, you don't buy this, man. Listen to Peter's reaction. May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. I don't care what prayer you said. I don't care you came down to the altar. And I don't care that you dipped in a bucket of water. Your heart is not right before God. Because you don't believe in it as a gift. You believe it's something you can buy. Jesus has no part with you, Simon. You will die. And you will perish with all your silver. Verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Um, I think that kind of response from a pastor, from an overseer, and a lot of churches today would have just gotten Peter fired. I think Peter, I mean, Peter saw Ananias and Sapphira drop dead right in front of him. He's like, God is not playing games, people. He's not, he's not here to, to play church with you guys. This, this isn't a dollhouse and you got Ken and Barbie and let's play church. No. Don't lie. Don't front. Don't be a fake. Believe in Jesus or don't, but don't don't come around and 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 you know what you really got wrong the real the reason why your whole thing is fake Simon you know why you're a fake because you think you have salvation because you can earn it or purchase it or buy it or hang out with the right people or follow it long enough so that you can mimic what we're doing you're learning how oh he's speaking tongues like this let me pronounce those syllables and oh he preaches boldly like this and let me see if I can just with enough positive thinking be that kind of bold and oh they're laying hands like this and producing this kind of power on people I don't even know how to begin to do a five-step process of learning that let me just ask the apostles if I could buy it from them None of it has to do with grace. All of it has to do with, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. Oh, I met people a little bit more amazing than me. Let me be amazing like them. And it has nothing to do with the gospel of grace. Peter said, you don't, you don't get it. This is a gift. You don't pay for a gift. You know, if, if somebody comes up to you with a little gift and it's, it's packaged and it's got a little bonnet, hey man, I just wanted to give this to you. Happy birthday. Merry Christmas. Whatever. And you go, wow, let me see that. Hey, there's no receipt in here. How much do I owe you? You know? And you start, well, this looks like a, what, a $50 gift here. That'd be offensive. person goes, what are you talking about? Why do you think I wrapped it in a gift and a bow and everything? I'm not. I didn't go pick up something for you to, for you to pay me. This is a gift. He, Peter's saying, this is, this is by very definition a gift. It's by God's grace. It's free. You don't pay for it. You don't earn it. 
And you would think people like gifts. You would think people would just like, hey, this is free. But God, the salvation is free. You know why we don't like it? Because it means we're not amazing. You're not good enough. You can't earn salvation. God doesn't smile when he looks at the things you do. He's not so uplifted by how awesome you are. We're not. I mean, we were created to be these worshipers, but we're stained and we sin, we disappoint, we grieve him. And we've got something that that puts this wedge between us and that has to be dealt with. And we don't have the power to deal with it ourselves. And we don't like that. You know, women pick on the guys for not wanting to pull over and ask for directions. Women, you have the same problem. It's called sin. We're just more stupid about it. Oh, I'm not going to pull over. But, but we all have the same problem. We, we don't want to say, I, I have a problem and I can't fix it. I need someone to fix it for me. We don't want to say that. Because that robs us of power. We don't want to come to God and say, I'm powerless. I can't, I can't do anything. I can't preach enough sermons. I can't lead enough Bible studies. I can't memorize enough scripture. I can't learn enough theology to please you. I can't do it. I just need you. I just need your, your sacrifice, your cross. I need you. We don't like that because it's totally helpless. Some of you, when you're up in age and you start needing help walking, and you might struggle with that. You don't want to be cooked for. You don't want to be fed. You don't want to use the cane because it's demonstrating that you're weak now and you can't walk on your own. You can't get up by yourself without everything cracking. You can't see anymore. Maybe you should stop driving, but you're like, no, I'm going to drive. And all you young people, and myself included, we're going to get there. We don't want to be little babies that need to be fed and pampered and tucked in at night. I'm a man. I'm a grown woman. I want to do it myself. Take that to the nth degree, and you got Simon. He's like, I want power. I want attention. All these people pay attention to me. And now they're paying attention to you. And I want that attention. Can I buy it? It's still all about himself. It's still all about what he can do. It's still all about Simon. And, and, and he doesn't get it. Peter calls him out and says, you, you, don't, you don't get it. You're going to die, Simon. You're going to perish. You know, you, it, with, you with all your wickedness. That's wicked. That's wicked to think you can do it yourself. That's wicked to think you could purchase something. It's a gift. Rather than being amazed at the unity of the gospel, wow, Jews from Jerusalem and Greek-speaking Jews and Jewish-speaking Jews and Samaritans that have been, that have been, we've been divided for so long and now the gospel bringing everyone together just goes right over Simon's head. He's just like, can I buy that? And then he tells him, tells him what his problem is. He says, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see, now, Peter gets a little pastoral here. He's like, listen, man, there's, you, here's the problem, okay? You are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Right? Gall is like a, like a, like a, the bile that's secreted by your bladder. You know what I mean? It's like a bitter, like a slime. Okay? You're in the slime, in the muck, in the dirty, disgusting gall of bitterness. I think, I think it has to do with his, his constant 
clawing and scratching for attention, his constant wanting for glory and attention, and he can't get it, and so he wants the next thing. And if even if he has to buy it, he'll purchase it and use all his silver to gain it. And he's pushing and clawing for attention so that he can be amazing. But no matter how many magic tricks he does, Simon is not amazing. And he's embittered by it. And I think you and I, we, we connect with that. I mean, for, my, for us, it might not be magic, but it's the things that we push after to try to bring meaning to our life. And the more we get it, the less meaning we find in our lives. And we realize this is terrible. And we're, we can be stuck in the gall of bitterness. And they use another phrase, you're, you're, you're in the bond of iniquity. That's how I know Simon wasn't saved. He didn't get saved and then made a mistake and got unsaved. He just never was saved. He believed, but he's still bound by his iniquity. He's still enslaved to sin. He's still entrapped and in the chains of his own unrighteousness. No matter how many amazing things he does, he hasn't crawled out of the pit of sin. What's the only thing that can rescue you from the pit of sin? Repentance. He said, you still need to repent. You know how I know you still need to repent, Simon? Because you're still stuck in the system of trying. The system of trying to be great, trying to earn stuff, trying to be good enough. And you can't do it. What's sad is that church historians and early church documents make a connection between a historical figure in the church who was a heretic, Simon Magus, who led many people astray and taught a false gospel. Many people say this was him. If that's true, he never got it. Actually, I don't think we have to go outside of this passage to see that he never got it. Because look at his response. Peter says, you're in the gall of bitterness. You're in the bond of iniquity. And Simon probably should have said, you're right. You're right. I repent. You're right. I'm so messed up. You're right. I'm so bound. Let me come to God and say, God, please forgive me. No, he says, listen, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. You ever just want to just, like, did you hear what I just said? Repent, you, not me, repent for you. You know, Pastor Lucas can't take the, the, the church friends list and take it to the Lord and Lord. I know they're not repentant, but can you just forgive them anyway? It doesn't work like that. This is why we don't pray to saints. We don't pray to Pastor Ortloff. Well, now I pray to Pastor Dan. No, you don't pray to Pastor Dan. There's only one name by which you may be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. And you have to repent and believe in Him. He's trying to circumvent repentance and be like, well, I want to have my own sort of thing going. I want to do my own thing, be my own person, and still push after power. But can I still do that and escape the consequences? That's what he's asking Peter. Can you just go to the Lord? You're so tight with Him, right? That you can go to Jesus and ask Him to just kind of just overlook what I'm doing? Because I'm not changing what I'm doing. That's basically what he told Peter. So I don't have to go to early church documents to try to connect it with somebody who's a heretic in the church. I see here that he's not a believer. Somebody who resists repentance cannot be a believer. Because in order to be a believer, you have to repent. And so you have to come to that point. First base is recognizing that you're not good enough. You can't do it. You don't need a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of you. 50% Jesus, 50% you. Okay, 90% Jesus, 10% me. No. A hundred percent Jesus, nothing you. Zero, you can't put any points on the board. 
If you come to Jesus, he goes, how about you take my points? How about I get you in the game? How about I win the game for you? You go, well, can I still take a few shots? No, you can't, you can't do it. This isn't to say when you become Christian, you just check out reality and don't do anything. And, well, God does everything. No, he, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon you. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? You're filled with power. What happens when you're filled with power? You use that power to do what? To proclaim the gospel, to be Jesus' hands, to be Jesus' feet. So you do a lot of stuff, but it's not because it's you. It's because the Holy Spirit is upon you. I was just telling somebody a couple days ago, I said, you know, when I'm, when I'm given a Bible and asked to, to say something to people, say something from the Bible. A long time ago, I would have been like, you know, just, oh, what do I say? But now, I mean, I, I might get nervous, but I think that it could be a crowd of thousands and I'll be okay. I, I, just, I just take the word and say what's there and just poof, put it out there. But a few years ago, a friend of mine asked me to stand up in his wedding. And he said, hey, can you do the toast? <laughs> I had the champagne glass. There. I don't know what to do. You know what I realized? I'm like, I'm not a public speaker. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, imbues us with gifts, and uses us to do bold and powerful things. But if I had to be like a politician or something, I, I, can I, I just I don't even know if words would come out right. But right now, I, could, I, I can feel, I feel, I feel I'm, I'm operating in a power that's beyond myself. And you guys all do that too, when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But it's by grace. It's by repentance. It's by recognizing that I, I, don't, I can't deserve it. I can't earn it. It's a free gift of God's grace. I think some of us, no matter how long we're around church, we still can't bring ourselves to repentance. And no matter how long, we, how, how much we know about God or know about the Lord, we, we just can't bring ourselves to repentance. I mean, we might say a prayer, Lord, Father, forgive me as I forgive others and blah, 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 blah. That's what it is, blah, blah, blah. You know what God hears when we pray those things and we don't really mean it? Like Charlie Brown hears his teacher. The want, 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 want. I mean, it's just, you're saying words, it's not falling, it's falling on deaf ears. Repentance gives us freedom, but we don't take it. Some time ago, I saw a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. I won't ruin the movie for you, but there's a subplot that I will ruin for you. There's a gentleman that's been there for so many years. He's, I don't remember the name of the character, but he, he's, he's an old man. And he's in charge of the library. You know, everybody knows this guy's name. Everybody loves this guy. The guards, as abusive as they are, they don't really pick on him too much because he's just a gentle old man. And, and he's, he's been in jail so long that finally his parole hearing is up. And they're like, well, here's a, an old man who's weak and kind of fragile and he's not going to harm society so let's put him let's let him go so his time was up and they let him go back into society and he hates it he doesn't have any friends and he's not willing to make new ones he the new technology is out and he doesn't know how to use it he's used to doing things the old way and it's all about the new way and he doesn't want to change all that He's so depressed by the fact that things are so different. He wants to go back to jail. He wants to go back to a place where things are under control. And he, he becomes so depressed by it that he hangs himself. 
The friends back of the penitentiary hear about it, and they're, they're saddened. Who I see is a guy there that was offered freedom, but he didn't take it. It looked like he took it because he, he left the actual jail cell, and he's walking around, and he's working at Walmart, and he's bagging groceries, but he's so depressed, his mind is still incarcerated. He's still back in the penitentiary. He's not willing to make new friends. He's not willing to learn the new life. He's not willing to do the new things. And so he looks free, but he's not free, is he? I think churches are filled with people. Maybe not filled, and I don't think this one's filled. But churches have a a number of people that look like they're free, and they're not. They don't want the new life. Because new life begins with repentance, and if you don't want repentance, you can't get the new life. But you can dress in churchy clothes. You can talk churchy talk. You can lead a Sunday school. You can fool me in the membership interview. You could join the worship band and just be like, just do all the motions and just, wow, people just, wow, you're awesome. And they're amazed by you. But you're not a believer. Is that scary? We should have like a lump in our throat, like, wait a minute. Why do I do church? Why do I sit there? Why do I listen to the sermon? Why do I go to small group? Why do I do it? We should just ask, can we ask that question? Why do I do it? If it has nothing to do with repentance and it has everything to do with, well, because I want to be a better person. Well, because my dad taught me to be good. Well, because I want my children to look up and see. That's a bunch of baloney. It has to be because I so need Jesus. I so desperately need him. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to say. I need to be be on top of God's word so I know what to say, so I know how to think, so I could be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Because left to my own devices, I will not. I'm in this battle against sin. Sin pulls at me and sin tugs at me. And even though I love my wife, I keep looking at other pictures. And even though I love my kids, I, I, I'm harsh with them. And even though I, 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 I want to be in, uh, a man of integrity, I still cheat and cut corners at work. And even though I want to love my neighbor, I still put someone down so I can get the promotion. And we feel all these sinful things tugging at us. And we're repenting about it. And we come to church like, God, free me from this. Continue to push those things aside so I can serve you. If that's not your main motivation, you might miss it. You may have missed it. And you can point back to a baptism. You could show the certificate that has your name, baptized on such and such a date. And maybe you're still not a believer. Because water doesn't cleanse you, my friend. It begins with repentance. A family member came over my house when I was a teenager in high school. And I remember he had a rocky marriage. He was all about the pursuit of money, all about, you know, switching jobs. You get the better things and the, and the bigger things and even would put himself in debt to have really nice things and just would hide the debt and just pretend like everything's okay. But everything was a mess. And at our house, it wasn't really like that. You know, my mom could have pushed for better things, but she was just happy behind the counter counting pills for people. That's just what she liked. That's what she did. And, oh, why don't you be a, a, a doctor? Why don't you do this? She's like, ah, this is what I like. You know, she's just very just laid back and everything. And then my stepdad, he, he was a mechanic, and he just he, he didn't want to push for better things. He just, it was very simple. But we, we worshiped at the house. You know, we would, I never played an instrument, so sometimes mom would play guitar or I would just play a tape. I could, I just p- press play on a, on a worship tape, like a promise keepers thing. And I just, mom, Eric, come in here. We, we would just start singing and we would just worship and pray. And the only reason why I say this is because the contrast, 
This gentleman walked in, this family member walked in one day, and we weren't doing anything. We were just like hanging out. And he's just like, almost like when you walk in, you're like, like you smell something. But in a good way, he's like, this house is like peaceful. There's a peace in this house. I wish I had that. I remember thinking in my head, well, get it then, man. You know, it's not going to be by getting more money. It's not going to be by keeping up with the Joneses. It's about repenting and coming to Jesus Christ. To this day, it's the same thing. A marriage that's on the rocks. Some of us feel like she stays with him for the money. And I think of a man who pushes and claws for a facade, but in reality, he knows his wife doesn't love him. She loves the check he gives her every week. He knows this house doesn't do anything for him, but he loves how people drive by and go, wow, look at that house. He wants to amaze people, but he doesn't know the gospel. Recently, a friend came over, or not came over, but told my wife, oh, I love hanging out with you and Lucas. Your guys' marriage is so great. Now, compare my marriage to your guys, and you know, you may not say that. Every marriage has problems. Compared to her experience, no Christ, no morals, the values are out the window. And she sees a household that's based on faith and based on Christ. And she doesn't really know it's connected with Christ, but she's saying, I, I wish I had that. And T and I are like, it's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that's changed our lives. You know, we're nothing like our parents and their parents, our parents are nothing like, I mean, Jesus changed us and it's about Jesus. But then this person goes back to that, the house and goes back to a household where Jesus isn't anything and they don't think about him and this person's yet to repent and come to Jesus. It's like walking, it's, it's like coming up against it and saying, wow, look at this. Look, I wish I could have that. I wish I could have that. Can I buy it? Can I get it at a mall? Can I, can I read a book and then suddenly just have that marriage, have that household, have that family? And we read the Bible and it's like, repent. <laughs> I mean, you know, can I, can I get it in other way? Wicked. We're still in the bond of iniquity if we're in that place. You remember that a few weeks ago I talked about the lame beggar that was healed at the gate. And it was such an awesome sign. It was such an awesome miracle. And people were so amazed and the first thing Peter did was, it's not about the sign, it's about what it's pointing to. Remember I used that illustration of the couple driving on the road and they see the, the deer crossing sign and they're just amazed by the sign and they're looking at it and look at the color, look at the silhouette, the shape of the deer, look how many points on the antlers and it's driving and then bam, they hit a deer, right? They're so focused on the sign, they're not looking at what the sign is pointing them to. John Piper uses this illustration of having a toddler on their lap and you, you see this awesome robin. It's the first day of spring and a robin lands on the limb outside the window and you're showing the baby and you're pointing to the robin and they're just looking at your finger. You're like, no, the robin, look look at the robin. They're just looking at your finger and they're trying to mimic your finger and, sh and do what you're doing, but you're, they don't know yet that this means don't look at this, this means look at that. When we come to church and we're amazed by things about Christ, but we're not amazed by Christ. We're amazed at things about church, but we're not seeing how those things point to Jesus and our need to repent. Now, for you and I, it may not be magic, but it may be sermons. 
I just love uh, Lucas just lays it out and he just the stories are kind of funny and whatever. And I just sermons or it might be programs. Now the kids have so much fun downstairs and they're so engaged and, and everything. I just like that. Or it might be you're lonely and you just love how there's fellowship here and friendship here and love here and how we get each other's backs and how we do each other's funerals and we and we connect and network together and you just so love that and so long for that and you realize Facebook doesn't fill that and you want to connect with that. That's not a bad thing, but if that's what church is for you, you missed it. That's a sign. Fellowship, loving neighbors, sacrificing for each other points To Jesus Christ, how he sacrificed for us, how he loved us the best, how his love is the deepest. And if you don't get from the sign to Jesus, you miss Christianity completely. You can be completely amazed by Christianity. You can be such a follower of Christianity and not be a follower of Jesus. You can be an admirer of Jesus and not be a follower of Jesus. Some put it this way, you're either a fan or a follower. Which one are you? Fans love church. Followers repent. Let's pray. Father, we ask that um, you would give us eyes to see what we can't see unless you lift the veil. That you would open our hearts to understand what we could never understand unless you explain it to us in our hearts. We ask that you would open the door that we could never open, no matter how much we knock on it and kick it and scratch and claw at it. You have to open that door so we can truly understand. Father, some of us in here have been in church for a long time and we've never been broken. We've never wept. We've never truly felt sorry. We've never truly felt remorse for our own sin. And Father, those of us in here this morning who have never experienced that, Lord, I ask that they would ask for it. Give them just enough grace to just ask you for it. And yes, it'll be painful. What a painful realization that that I can do nothing apart from Christ. I have nothing without Jesus. There is no worth just in and of myself. The only worth I can find is attached to Christ. What a painful realization. But on the other side of that pain is the sheer joy of what it means to truly be free from the bond of iniquity. As we sing this closing song, Father, some of us in here may just be singing the words about I'm free, but not really experience what it means to be free. And I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would come upon them, convict them, open their eyes to see that they need to repent of their own wickedness. Stop pinning all the worries of their life on the wickedness of dad, on the wickedness of mom, on the wickedness of my boss, on the wickedness of the Taliban, and the wickedness of everyone else. And say, Jesus died on the cross because I deserved it. None of us can come to that conclusion unless you give us the eyes to see it. And I pray that you would open eyes right now as we sing this song together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.